0: final sermon of our sermon series, and you, may be, you might be wondering why I'm standing up here, because uh, if you look at the sermon schedule, uh, Andy Kaler's name is written on there, and Andy's here, he's in the back there, uh, but I guess before I get to the sermon, I want to say that pretty much uh, Andy was my primary source for this sermon. Uh, every week when you prepare a sermon, you look at multiple commentaries uh, to try to learn you know, what the topic is about or what the text is about. In uh, this week, my commentary was Andy Kaler, so yeah. thanks, Andy. And the summer's gone fast, so we're. At, this is eleven of eleven of our, of our sermon series. Of the tenth commandment. But let's before we begin, let's pray uh, this morning. Father, thank you for carrying us through this summer, this sermon series, and we've received a lot of challenges, Lord, and I, uh, obviously the the, the older commandments that we learned are still as relevant as the commandments that we're hearing now, and I I pray that we would live out what is preached. Lord, uh, to be a hearer of the word is one thing, and to be a, a doer of the word is another, and I pray that we would be both, that we would hear and that we would do, and that we'd live out the calling that you have for us. And Father, I thank you for the, the, the preaching ministry. And I, pray, I ask for your help right now as I preach. And I pray that this would speak to the hearts of your people, uh, that they would be changed, and they become more like your son as a result of this sermon. And in his name, I pray. Amen. We can never have enough. The common lie that people are sold is that if you... Get something, then you will be happy. And as we look around at other people, we see that they have things that we desire. Jealousy stirs up in our heart because we want what they have. And you may know someone who has a really nice house or a really nice car, or you may be in an unhappy marriage and you see someone else's spouse and say, wouldn't life be better if I was with that person? Or you may see someone else's talents and abilities, and you may say, I wish I had what they had, because then people will look at me and see how great I am. Thinking this way is very dangerous, because if you're granted what you desire, you're going to find that you're not going to be happy, because it's never-ending. You just keep getting things, and getting things, and getting things, and you're never satisfied. All you have to do is talk to people who've had everything, and and they'll tell you that they still have an emptiness inside. The human soul is a vacuum that can only be filled by one. I heard a pastor say one time that we all have a God-sized void inside of us. It can only be filled by God. Psalm 1611 says... In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And you heard that right. In, in the presence of God, the joy is, ma- is at the maximum level. It's full. And in his presence are never-ending, eternal pleasures. It's hard to wrap our minds around that because nothing in this life can ever satisfy us. I, a quote by C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite quotes, he says, if I have desires that no experience in this world can satisfy. The only probable explanation is that I was created for another world. It's one of my favorite quotes. And we desire to covet because you believe that this earthly thing will satisfy you. If only I had this, then I would be happy. Then I would be fulfilled. But resist that temptation and live wisely. The wisest life that one could live is a life with an eternal perspective. Our eyes set on eternity. And that's what this sermon is calling you to do today. It's calling you to strive to have an eternal outlook on life. Strive to have an eternal outlook on life. And there are three ways how. The first is by fighting worldly desires. Fighting worldly desires. We're on the 10th commandment this morning, and the 10th commandment commands you not to covet. Now, it's not a bad thing to desire things in your life. It's only bad when it's a wrong desire, when you desire things wrongly. And that's what coveting is. You desire something that does not belong to you, and God has not given it to you. God specifically commands not to desire earthly things in Exodus 20, verse 17. And I'm going to read the 10th commandment here, Exodus 20:17. It's on page 61 of the right A few Bibles, if you're following along. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, each of these would have been great temptations for Israelites during the time that they lived. And for you, a 21st century American, you're probably looking at the last things here listed, and you're wondering, okay, donkey, female servant, these don't really apply to me. But of course, if you look at the first two, you're saying, okay, these really do apply to me, because it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. The first one, your neighbor's house. This is a problem for 21st century Americans to desire where someone else lives. On the 4th of July, uh, Brianna and I, we went to uh, ha- celebrate our anniversary with uh, Eddie Neer and Tracy and Fauna, and they took us out on their boat on Lake Minnetonka. You know, and, and I've lived here my whole life. And it's interesting, it, it always occurs to me that when you drive around, you don't realize how wealthy the area is. Until you actually go out on the lake, and, and you see how big these houses are, and it can be easy to desire to have a place like that. I, I, I remember multiple times in my life thinking, "Man, that'd be pretty cool, you know, to own a place like that." And that that desire is is the fruit of coveting, because you desire your neighbor's house, and it's easy to fall into that trap. The second one listed here is also a great temptation for. 21st century Americans, and that is you desire your neighbor's wife, or if you're a woman, you desire your neighbor's husband. And this is a problem in our country because married people commit infidelity. This is, this is not uncommon. It happens quite a bit. Adultery is one of the leading causes of divorce. 28% of divorces are caused by infidelity. And, and the sin of adultery takes place long before the physical act actually happens. It starts with the thought of desiring another man or another woman. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5.28. He says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adul- adultery with her in his heart. And if you commit adultery, you're desiring what is not yours. You're either desiring someone else's spouse Or you're desiring someone's future spouse. And even if the person will never get married, you're still coveting because you're desiring what God has not given to you. And when we get to the second half of the verse here, you can tell that this is very cultural to Israel. But we can insert other things. Because you will always find someone who has more than you. You will always find someone who has more money than you. Do you desire to be in their financial situation? I, I've been a student for many years, and I, and I say that. I started in college, and I'm almost done with seminary. And when you're a student, you're not able to really accumulate a lot of money because instead of accumulating money, you accumulate debt. Uh, but by, by God's grace, I, I'm actually in pretty good financial condition. But it's easy to, des- to covet others' financial situation and say, you know what, I, I wish I didn't have all those loans. W- wouldn't life be better? if I didn't have all those loans. Or would it be better if someone paid for my schooling, all of it, like some people I know? But th- that's, that's a, des- a, a coveting desire that, that comes up in my heart. This is just an example. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God will provide for you. And I could say this as a personal testimony the way that the Lord has provided for me in seminary. It, it's incredible. I, it, half of it has been covered by other people who have helped pay for it. And so, what a great blessing. And, and it's, it's a testimony to God's provision in my life. And I know that all of you can think of circumstances in your life where God has provided in many ways. And if you think about it, it, it's actually kind of a blessing not to have that much. Because the more that you have, the more the Lord is going to ask of you. Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says, But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of much of him will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So the more that you have, the more the Lord will require of you, and the more that you will have a, to give account for on the day of judgment. So be content with what you have with that in mind. If you desire your neighbor's possessions, you are desiring earthly things because you want to live it up and you want to enjoy life. Who doesn't? And your mind is on this world and not on eternity. Worldliness and pride in possessions is a huge problem where we live. It's a bigger problem here than in most places around the world, maybe every place around the world. So you should not desire the world. And as a Christian, you should not fit in with the world. Worldliness among Christians is a big problem. Sometimes it's hard to, to tell if they're even a Christian because they look so much like the world. Do you look like the world? Examine yourself with that today. Because you should look like an alien. If, if you're around unbelievers and you're in an unbelieving environment and you say, you know what, I don't, I don't feel like I fit in here. You know that's a good thing. That means you're that means you're walking with the Lord and, and there's a difference between you and them. 1 Peter 2:11 says I urge you as sojourners to abstain to abstain from sinful passions which wage war against your soul. That means that Christians are sojourners. That means you're traveling through that means you're a temporary resident. Your place here is not permanent. And the first John passage mentions that this world is passing away. It's like falling in love with a sinking ship. All of us know the story of the Titanic that sunk in 1912. This was a a ship that was talked about greatly. And it was called the unsinkable ship, and people fell in love with it. And then it hits an iceberg in, in North Atlantic, and it sinks. To be in love with this world is like to be on the Titanic that is sinking, because this world is sinking and it is passing away. But to be a Christian is to be like the ones who are on the lifeboat. You jump on the lifeboat and you're secure and you're safe and you're rescued because you're with him. So don't go down with the sinking ship. True Christians are those who have escaped and put their trust in Christ and found the lifeboat that is Jesus. So that is the first way. You must have an eternal outlook on life by fighting worldly desires. The second way you must have an eternal outlook on life is by finding contentment in your earthly life. The problem with coveting is desiring others earthly possessions. And in point one, I told you to resist those temptations. But how can you combat that? How can you get to the point where those desires aren't even there anymore? Wouldn't that be nice? It is possible to be at a place where you are content with very little. The Bible explains that genuine followers of Christ will be satisfied with the essentials of life, the very basics of life. 1 Timothy 6.8 says, If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. And once you have Jesus, you have everything. So you don't need worldly possessions to satisfy you. All you need is the basics to live as a sojourner in this world. I always admire well-known, famous Christians who could live a a luxurious life and have so much more, but they choose not to. One of my favorite uh, people in sports is a man by the name of John Wooden. He was a basketball coach. He won 10 national championships with UCLA, and he's considered by many to, to be the greatest coach of all time. Of any sport, any level, and he was—he was a devout Christian man, and he made thirty-five thousand dollars a year. Never asked for a raise, and he never talked about winning. He's a really interesting guy because he never—he never talked about winning. He just talked about doing your best, and he, and he defined success as doing your best. And he lived a very content lifestyle. And people who are worldly sat by and marveled and said, "What? What is it, What is it about this guy that makes him so different?" Because he had all the worldly treasures, and he clearly did not grab a hold of them like most do, he lived a very content life following Christ. And contentment must be there when life is going good, and you have the opportunity to have more, but you decide to live a simple and life following Jesus. That's where contentment must be there. But contentment proves true also in circumstances where life gets difficult. So it's not only the times where you can have more, but you choose not to, but it's also the times where life gets hard, and you have to find your joy in Christ. The Apostle Paul is a great example of one who was fully satisfied with Christ, even though he lost everything from his past life. Paul spent much of his life climbing the ladder in Judaism, kind of like an employee climbs the ladder in the business world. He had all the credentials. He had everything going for him. But once Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road, everything changed. All the time he spent building up his resume in Judaism and devoting his life to it was taken away from him in one moment as he's walking down the Damascus Road, and Jesus appears to him. And and he finds out that Jesus really is the man that the people back in Jerusalem were saying he was. And he, and he believes in him. And his life was turned upside down. And Paul explains his climb of the ladder in Galatians 1.14, where he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. And he explains his credentials in Philippians 3, 4 through 6. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he describes his credentials as a Jew, but he threw it away to have Christ. And this is what he says in the next two verses. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So, what enabled Paul to give up the life that he loved? He gave it up because of the future hope that he had in Christ. And this is what he says in verses 10 and 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul, his trust was in Christ and he saw the future hope that belonged to him as a follower of Jesus Christ and he gave up everything that he had and what's interesting is that in the rest of this passage, Paul describes two types of people. He describes the one who has given up everything he has in the, that's a worldly desire, opposed to one who is holding on to this world. I'm going to read this here. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but none thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies So he shows both sides here. And Paul is in tears to see people who've gone after worldly things. And there's people 2,000 years ago who went after worldly things, and they were regretting it because they don't cease to exist. Their soul is in hell if, if they continue down that path because life is short. Is your mind set on earthly things? Those who do not know God have their mind set on earthly things, and their end is destruction. But for those who have their mind set on God and Christ and heavenly things, the end is very good. God is preparing for you an eternal home. So with this in mind, you don't need much in this present life. You don't need much. And one thing I want to say, too, is that it's, it's not a sin to have a lot. It's not a sin to be rich. God has designed that some would be wealthy so that they'd be generous so they would contribute to the needs of the church, that they would help others. But the Bible does say, too, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And while some may have wealth, and everybody has a different amount, all you need is the essentials. Many have proven that down through history. All you need is the essentials. Shelter, food, clothing, your happiness is not based on what you own. It's based on your relationship with God. You have eternal life, and you know that God will be, will satisfy you forever. That is what keeps you going. Jesus had a conversation with his disciples, and his disciples were rejoicing that the demons were subject to them because they had that power. And Jesus says, Do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. If you can think of something that's going good in your earthly life right now, may that not be your greatest rejoice, but may your rejoice be that my name is written in heaven. And this life is only the beginning, and your time in existence with God will go on forever. That's what your joy should be in. So that's the second way how you must have an eternal outlook on life, by finding contentment in your earthly life. The third way how is by investing in Christ for the far-off future. By investing in Christ for the far-off future. There are a number of passages in the Bible that describe sinful characteristics of people who will not enter God's kingdom. And Ephesians 5, 5 includes those who covet. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, in idolatry, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And as I mentioned already in the sermon, people who covet have their minds set on earthly matters. And covetous people focus all their investments in this life. Jesus told of a man with a covetous heart, who had all of his investments in this earthly life. And this is an account in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, this night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Americans are constantly told to invest in this life. You hear it every week on TV, the radio. Retirement is a, pri- a primary focus in our country. If you save enough money your whole life, you don't have to support yourself at the end. And you know what? Retirement in itself is not bad. It's wise to plan ahead. It's wise to have enough money to support you when you get to the point where you can't really work because you're getting too old. But the problem with retirement is that it's turned into, well, just have fun the rest of your life. Leisure. It's, it's like running a race. You know, I, I run a, I've run a lot of races in my life. And one of the foolish things you can do when you're in a race is to slow down at the end. And, and that's how life is. Life, you, you have a start, you have a middle, you have an end. And it's really a foolish thing if you really slack off at the end because you're, you want to finish the race strong. And oftentimes you finish up higher in the race if you have a really good finish. And so you want to have a strong finish, a strong push to the end. But, but so many people don't do that. It's, it, you kind of slack off at the end. You spend your whole life working hard and then you slack off. Francis Chan, a pastor uh, in California, he used a really cool illustration to illustrate how short this life is compared to eternity. Uh, He had a rope, and the rope had a little piece of red tape at the end. And that red tape is your life. And and I remember him saying, you know, you work really hard for this much so that you can really enjoy this much. (laughs) Well, All of this, he's pulling the rope. This is eternity on the other side. You keep pulling the rope, keep pulling the rope, and it goes on forever. So it's foolish to invest fully in this life. It's wise to invest a little bit, but how much more to invest in eternity? That's where your focus must be. You must invest far more in eternity than you do in retirement. Invest in Jesus. So you might ask, well, how do I do that? Good question. One of the best ways you can invest in Jesus is by investing in the church. Because the way that God works in the world is through the church. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When the Christian movement was started in the first century AD, the churches were established immediately. Because that's where Christians went, and that's where they went to serve God, that's where they went to worship, that's where they went to do ministry. So Jesus died for the church, and ministry is done to the church. So ask yourself, how can I contribute to the ministry here at Mound Free Church? Because that's the church you're a part of. And, and as one of your shepherds, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little concerned with, with the commitment level of some people. Not all of you, some of you, some of you are very committed. But some, some people in our church could be more committed than they are. If your church attendance is, is pretty poor, that's that's a sign that you're not at the commitment level where you should be. And I'm, and I'm not being a legalist saying that. You really do need to be a church because this is where the ministry that God has for you is. And it, on Sundays, we worship God. We do ministry together. We, we figure out ways to, to reach our community for Christ. We have fellowship together, the preaching of the word. There's so many reasons why you should be here. And I'm calling you today, be more consistent in your church attendance and find out ways how you can help the ministry of this church. And, that's, and, and by doing that, you know what? You're investing in eternity. Every Christian should be active in some local church. In the first century AD, Christians who weren't a part of a church, well, guess what? There's no such thing. Every Christian in the first century was a part of a local church. They were all baptized and they were all involved in some type of church. And so this kind of autonomous independence that has invaded our culture is something that is foreign to the Bible. It's foreign to the New Testament. And I and you need to hear that. And I say that as a shepherd of your church, calling you to be more consistent, to have your eyes set on eternity to have your focus be on that and not on worldly matters that in the end really don't have a lot of significance. In our 2020 vision, we have have the desire to see people come to Christ. We have the goal of having more people commit to the church through covenant membership. We desire to grow our community groups. We want to train biblical counselors. And we have a desire to reach people for Christ globally. And lastly, we have the goal a plant in a church, in a community where there is a great need for a Bible preaching church. So ask yourself, how might you contribute to the ministry of this church? And by doing that, you are investing in eternity. You're investing in Christ. Because believers not only receive eternal life, they receive rewards. The New Testament gives evidence of this, that The experience in heaven won't be the same for everyone. People who are more faithful here will receive more in eternity. People who are less faithful will receive less. Matthew 6, 20, Jesus calls people, store up treasures in heaven. That's evidence right there. Store up treasures in heaven. And then in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19, Paul, as he's writing this letter to Timothy, he's talking about the rich, but he's calling the rich not to have their focus here on earth. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who who richly provides for us everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And so he says, Store up Storing up treasures for themselves is a good foundation for the future. So invest in eternity. And by investing in Christ, you are investing in eternity. This is the wisest way that you can spend your life. So this sermon this morning is calling you to have an eternal outlook on life by fighting worldly desires, by finding contentment in your earthly life, and by investing in Christ for the far-off future. Do not believe the lie that if you have what another has, that you will be happy. Do not buy into that lie. Find your joy in God, remembering that He is the only one who can eternally satisfy you. Now, this is the last sermon of our Ten Commandment series, and I want to close by saying something that I said at the very beginning. Uh, The first sermon that was preached at the beginning of May called you to produce spirit-generated works because the goal of the sermon series wasn't just to tell you to go do good things, okay? Go obey this, and we don't even need to talk about God's power behind it. No, we're talking about God's power behind it. The reason you are able to perform the Ten Commandments is because you have the Holy Spirit. You have the power of the resurrected Christ, and he's made you a new person, and you're being sanctified, and this is the kind of person God is creating you to be. And that's the kind of person you're going to be forever. And the process begins now in this life. And so that's what this sermon and this sermon series is calling you to do to to carry out these commands, the Ten Commandments, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.